Welcome to another episode of B2B Startup Growth. I'm Shaw McHouse, and in this podcast, I aim to share with you wisdom from some of the smartest B2B startup leaders and professionals that I know. We talk about all aspects of marketing, sales, growth hacking, life hacking, and everything in between. Hi, Efra. Hi. So happy to have you here in this uh, session with me. Looking forward. Um, how are you this morning? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. So I think that the, I'm sure a lot of my audience knows you, but For the sake of those who are new uh, to Israeli uh, high-tech, um, please, I'd love you to introduce yourself in short, you know, on the, let's start with the professional side and give us a, a very brief overview of where you've been lately and how you got there, high-level overview. <laughs> 100%. So just recently, I finished my uh, three-year um, uh, three period with Mindspace. I was a CMO, the global CMO of Mindspace. It's a company for flexible offices um, in 20 cities and, uh, sorry, 40 cities, 40 locations in 20 cities in uh, seven countries around the world. Um, I joined Mindspace in 2020. Uh, I'll go back just to give you a bit of my uh, background. So at 21 year old, I moved to Australia and I completed my um, uh, computer science degree. I was a programmer for a few years. At 25 year old, I opened my uh, independent business for uh, jewelry and fashion accessories because I was no longer interested in being a programmer. At 27 year old, I came back to Israel. I did uh, three years at the tech division of the Israeli Export Institute, and then six years at Orca, uh, a tech company for in the video and TV space. And it was B2B. really my, my school and sandbox for global B2B marketing. Um, I then had three years at Aerobotics, which is a drone startup. Um, and then I had one year pause for some time out and I did some consulting and public speaking. And then I joined Mindspace for, for three years. Uh, in parallel, for the past five years, I'm also one of the co-founders of GCMO, which is the community of uh, Israel's um, top uh, global CMOs in global companies. Uh, we have 140 members today uh, in our community. And I'm also a public speaker, mostly speaking about personal branding, which is one of my um, specialities, which I started working on about eight years ago and really developed my own method. So I do a lot of lectures about that. Uh, I'm also an activist for the past eight years. And uh, I'm also a mom for the past 13 years. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. So all of that uh, makes me really interested in digging into your mind. Uh, let's uh, start with uh, one aspect especially that interested me because uh, I was aware when you took off on your last role as CMO for, um, for Mindspace. And when you did that, and uh, it was a little bit before COVID, And at the time, there's my perspective on it. You can correct me if I'm wrong. So at the time, when I was uh, watching you from LinkedIn report that you're taking on this job, I was thinking, wow, she's going into this amazing space that's really in hyper growth, this uh, real estate for offices, uh, for dynamic, uh, dynamic office space. And um, then so shortly after you took this job, COVID hit. The, that this that area hit uh, that area was, was two months later. Oh, two months later. Wow. So two months after you started, all of a sudden th this uh, segment got almost killed because oh, nobody's getting out of home. Nobody was renting new space. On the contrary, there was lots of available office space from all the companies who were trying to uh, sublet their place. And All of a sudden, you're up for a totally different challenge that you, than you bargained for. So 
I'd love to hear. And, and then afterwards, I was following you again, looking at things that you did there in this situation. Very impressive, I must uh, uh, add my perspective. And I'd love to uh, get your uh, story on how you carried on. What's the strategy that you, how, to, how you coped with that? And then I'm very interested in how that looked like from your inside, from a pers personal yeah. uh, point of view. So, yeah. So at first it was really a big shock. So it, it, it was like, that's not what I signed up for. <laughs> you know, I came here to grow a team and build a great business and, you know, and generate a lot of growth. Mind. And all of a sudden this shock. So I had to send half of my team to furlough and freeze projects and vendors and cut budgets like everyone, you know, it was a, it was really hard. Um, but very quickly, I saw that most of our team um, is handling customers that want to either freeze or, you know, want to get some rebates and things like that. And no one had the attention on the customers that did stay with us. So for me, that was the first priority. Like I looked at, you know, so there's a crisis. You look at who needs help. You know, what do we need? What, what should I do? And, and really retention was the thing that we needed to do. So for our paying customers, we needed to think of how are we going to provide value for them at a time where they may not come to the office and what they're paying for is the office. So we, I've set up a, a project called Virtual and we've set up like a virtual space for our customers. And we also opened it later to the public because it was really successful and, and it also generated leads. But what we wanted to do is just give them a full calendar schedule of valuable professional content, webinars, um, at Mindspace, we, we have a lot of um, extracurricular activities like sports and well-being and things like that. So we had yoga sessions and, and Pilates and, and like fitness, whatever. We had everything using Zoom. Uh, it was still the time where people were willing to uh, <laughs> to have Zoom uh, sessions, so it was really good, and we had a lot of traction, and people felt like you know we're still keeping the 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 space for them. Plus, the spaces were physically always open because some of the companies were essential companies, so people could always come and work in the office, um, and I think you know COVID started around March around. July, August, we're already starting to see in some of the countries, it was very different from one country to another, but in some of the countries, we saw a big passion of people to come back to the office or at least have the option to. So we had to start thinking of how we make the spaces safe for them and how we make them feel safe in there. So we we also paid attention to that. Um, I had to start iterating on very short budget cycles while measuring my ROI on a weekly basis for most of 2020. So I was really working, you know, as if I was joining a startup that just started and has no money and has to really work efficiently. That's what I did because I have experience in startups. I know how to do that, but I really didn't expect to to need to to do that at Mindspace, but but that was the mode I was in. Yeah, yeah, go. I'd like to interrupt you for a second. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm really interested. At that time, I'm imagining there your challenge rather rather than generating growth was retention. So yeah. you agreed with your management that that was the goal that you're working towards. Now, yeah. I I'd, I'd like to know how did you. Uh, judge the success when actually the market I'm sure retention was not a hundred percent because that was the whole the environment was uh, of course that, uh, companies were leaving these uh, rented spaces in the world so overall in your yeah, market, sure. it was easy to time. to measure we looked so at churn how did of you course measure? sure we looked at Go churn ahead. and we looked at um and we looked at uh, uh, the satisfaction of the of the staying customers. So the the level of satisfaction of staying customers, we kept polling them, speaking with them. We had like the whole uh, way that the sales and and uh, and service team was working changed to really pick up the phone and have personal phone calls and send personal messages and 
really talk to the people a lot more. And they did that and they did a really good job at that. So we could really feel the water and feel what our customers are saying. Um, they obviously had a lot of work with, you know, customers that wanted to leave or or cancel contracts and things like that. But still, the ones that stayed, we kept on checking on a weekly basis. What is the churn rate and what is the uh, satisfaction rate of those who were staying? And that was constantly being discussed in management meetings. Um, so it, we were all on the same page. Like it was right, clear. But did, did you feel like when you were, take me to that uh, management meeting where you as a relatively new CMO there need to report that retention is, you know, is at a certain level in which I'm, I'm always management expects more. That's the nature, right? Yeah. So no, how, it wasn't like that feel- during that time because everyone was very, you know, compassionate and understanding to the situation. Okay. So it wasn't like, uh, you know, if if this doesn't happen, if you don't hit that milestone or that goal, then then it's not good enough. Obviously, it wasn't like that. Everyone understood the complexity of the situation. Plus, they really appreciated the fact that I'm very new at my position. And that's the challenge that I have while I'm starting. So they were really behind me and supportive. Um, and I think we were really working, you know, most of the, the measurement came from the sales team and the operations team, and I was, we were working as one team. We were always working together in terms of measuring and looking at results. Like my team's um, measurement at Mindspace was always the sales criteria. It wasn't, yeah, MQLs, whatever, that wasn't really interesting for us. We wanted to see how much business we're generating. Like looking back at 2021, 70% of all the deals that were signed in the company came through our channels. So we were very focused on looking at the end result on the closed one, you know. So we we were working as a team back then and and also later. But I want to I want to continue telling you the story because then, you know, it didn't it didn't finish there. Obviously, we all know that it went longer than 2020. So by the beginning of 2021, the market was starting to change and there was the big discussion about return to the office. And I think this was my luck. Like that was my opportunity because the fact that that headline return to the office is a topic that everyone is talking about. And I happen to be in that space selling that product, you know, talking about that kind of content that was perfect. You know, although this is not an easy time, not an easy period, no one is loving what's going on. I was still in the middle of a very hot topic, hot industry at a very um, at a time where everyone everyone's eyes are are looking uh, to companies like us and what we're saying and what is our, our uh, experience from customers that are coming or not coming, etc. So that was an opportunity. Um, it gave a great hook for PR, obviously, for content and for social on the one hand, while I figured that we need to bring even more flexibility to the table. So in terms of our product, which is already a flexible product, you can rent it out for, for a month or, or a year. Um, I, I realized that people are now expecting to have even more flexibility because they do want to work from home, but they do want to leave home. And I identified a great need, uh, you know, what marketeers call the pain uh, from some people or companies to socialize, to work physically together, to ease the loneliness and the anxiety, to increase the productivity and the teamwork, and to strengthen the stickiness of employees and the company's brand. That was really becoming loose. And we knew that we can press on these points to bring customers in. And and that's where I went to. I didn't go to those people who said, we want to work from home. Go work from home. No problem. Now you have the opportunity to do that. But we were looking for those customers who were really feeling the need to come back physically to be together. And most people are like that because we are social creatures. I was saying that from day one. Like I said, this is a blessing for us. You will see 
that although this is a huge crisis worldwide for this industry, not the commercial real estate, but specifically the flexible offices in commercial real estate, this is going to be a huge opportunity because people are social creatures and they cannot take it away from us, no matter how much they pitch social distancing from here to the moon. You know, it doesn't matter. We want to be together. This is how we this is how we take. So and, and that's really what happened. So one of the things I, I did. Wait, can I interrupt? Was, yeah, yeah, sure. So do you feel that you guys with your storytelling and your messaging, you identified this uh, earlier than other companies, right? I don't know if earlier, but we definitely put a lot of our money on that. Like well, in our content, in our PR, in our thought leadership, we talked about those things. So I touch all the time. So yeah. my question is, do you have any methodology by which you follow in order to make sure that you are choosing the right to pitch at that at this point were you how are you picking up these insights uh, do you have any other than I'm sure you were talking to clients and getting ideas but was there any 100%. more uh, methodical so talking to clients is definitely something that I did from day one one of the things I was planning to do when I come when I came to to Mindspace was to set up the SEO uh, operation which they didn't have but then COVID started so I couldn't so I did I couldn't measure it by keywords and seeing the the traffic based on you know how people are um why engaging with my organic content but I could see it in the conversations that we were having and I I could see it with the engagement we had to our content so, so that was my indication you said that with covid happened so you couldn't apply your plan for seo why is that just budget and resources okay. all right i wanted to have another team member to just handle seo and i wanted more money but and okay. you know all the budgets were cut and right. so it wasn't the right time i did start my seo project later uh, actually in 2022 but it took time until you know i was able to do that um so one of the things i did in terms of the product um is launching a new kind of product called hybrid uh, which is simply our product, but just in an ultra flexible manner, allowing people to come to the office for one day or one hour. And we started selling that through the website on e-commerce. So we added something like a new channel that we didn't have and a new method of selling that we didn't have passive, you know, in a way, passive uh, income and and not really uh, efforting the sales team too much. And it worked and it worked differently in different uh, countries, of course, for example, in London until today, this is one of the best products and people continue to buy it all the time. They go into the website, they buy a daily ticket or a, or a, a packet of, of 12 entries and they come in throughout the months whenever they want. So, so that was hybrid and we did a whole campaign around hybrid. Um, and the market became obviously very competitive around that. Every and, and in general, that market that I was in was was very competitive and highly saturated. But we put a lot of emphasis on on the quality of experience for the customers, the product itself, the service, and we we had an advantage there. Uh, plus, uh, as a profitable company with with a strong team, we were able to secure many new customers and retain existing customers during 2021, which was not uh, take, you know, it's, it's not taken for granted at all. And our strategy was to come as the boutique, small, but smart player from behind and reap the positive perception that this specific niche in the market had of flexible offices, which was very, which was quite different from normal offices where you have to have five or 10 year leases. Here you could have like so that was like the perfect business model for this time of crisis where people cannot really leave home or come back to the office. It's something in the middle. And my target was to create a balance between paid, owned and earned media. Mindspace was less strong on the owned and earned when I joined. And now when I left, I feel like this strength and balance was was achieved. So during the two plus years, yeah, yeah go. Can I interrupt? Please clarify what what kind of owned media did the, a, a company like Mindspace have? What 
What kind? What was? I'm the... not talking about a content website, for example. I'm talking about our blog, our content in general that we right. produce, our website, and you know, adding the e-commerce, which was then really uh, substantial, um, and our digital social channels are one of our biggest assets. Since Mindspace is a company that is B two B to C. You know, we sell to companies, but in the end of the day, the, one of the best growth engines for organic um, content came from our customers, but not the company, but the individuals working in the in the company. So imagine that there are 15,000 um, customers around the world that every day are uploading LinkedIn posts and Instagram posts. So, I, and I'm going to talk about, you had, I think you want to talk later about types of content. So, so right. that's yeah. the owned media part okay. that is coming from my customer, but I'm leveraging it to myself. Good. So I think that in the two plus years that COVID happened, my, my main focus was on demand harvesting and brand perception. We, we focused mostly on high intent customers. Uh, competitors were doing great work in educating the market. So I really didn't need to go into that. Everyone knows we work. Uh, we work is spending a lot of money on, you know, education and and people know what flexible offices or co-working is thanks to WeWork. Um, so I was using channels like paid social and search, referrals and, and channel marketing is very strong because a lot of the deals are closed through brokers, through third parties. So there's a lot of channel marketing in, in Mindspace and, uh, and obviously organic PR, social content and lately SEO. For brand perception, I did a lot of work internally. Yeah, go. Can I uh, um, clarify what you, you said now about your yeah. service? your um, marketing mix I'm trying I, I I'd love to draw some a uh, useful methodology from what you said for okay. the audience so what what I'm hearing from you is that you identified that in your uh, uh, customer journey there needs to be first some level of education about the uh, the need the needs that are met through need for uh, that kind uh, of office yeah this kind of offices so you identified that your competitors are doing that work well enough so you said okay that is covered now then you identified the piece where you want to differentiate where you want to uh, not rely on other education exactly just your content on that so exactly. Sort of so my my focus was more on what differentiates Mindspace from other um, competitors in the market, and that was very different from one country to another, because but, the competitors were di very different. Right. So here's the difficult part of it: when yeah. you if you leave the top of the funnel, meaning the high level edu the, the you know the education to WeWork, for example, you let them do the education of the general idea. Wouldn't you lose a lot of people who will get really um, more acquainted with WeWork and they'll follow the funnel of WeWork and you'll lose them? Isn't that so, a risk? It is a risk, but the, the data and the results show differently. So I wasn't, you know, I was looking at how, you know, the leads that are coming in, the pipeline that we're building, what the funnel looks like, and it wasn't the case. Uh, which goes to show that people, and we know that people are quite sophisticated in decision making today, even though WeWork is the one leading the pack in educating the market, people are still not checking just WeWork and not just going to WeWork as a, you know, an automatic uh, reaction. They do check other competitors and there are many. So, you know, I, I, I could rely on that. I could, okay. I tested it, you know, I saw, and, and it wasn't like I wasn't doing anything to educate the market, but I wasn't putting most of my attention on it. Um, okay. And then for brand perception, I did a lot of work internally to coach and train employees and management on personal branding and social media, especially LinkedIn. And we had great internal processes for LinkedIn content posting. Um, for sharing and for engagement boosters. So, for example, we had a an internal Slack channel, which was called Social, that every time we would put anything on our social media channels, 
uh, we would also put it in that Slack channel so that the employees can take it and post it on their own. Or we had obviously some of the employees um, set up already on our HubSpot so we could, when we post content, we could post it on their behalf. We were guiding them on leveraging user-generated content from customers, how to do it, and they did do it a lot. Imagine that the biggest pool of employees in that company are the community managers in every space. So there are a lot of young people, very social oriented, you know, they know they they're doing TikTok. I'm not doing TikTok. They're doing it. You know, they're doing Instagram, they're doing everything all day long. So I just had to look at what I've got and work with it. And it was very, very efficient in terms of PR. Every time wait, we before you news. jump to PR, wait, wait, wait a okay. second. Going sure. back to that point, because it's very interesting in a lot of companies that I come across and that I work with would love to engage their employees to help with the yes. spread the word on social. Can you give some uh, tips on how you managed to motivate them? Did you put in, in place incentives? Like how, because a lot of them, they do it if you push them, but if not, not necessarily. So can you give some tips? Yeah, sure. That? So unlike the first topic with WeWork, where I left education to someone else, here I was educating, right? So I did a lot of work internally to, to do like webinars or, or lectures to the employees themselves in small groups and big groups. And teach them what the importance is of having themselves as ambassadors of the brand that they work for and what they can get from it. So, and, and this is one of the things I do anyway. So it was very natural for me. So once they got the value of it, they started experimenting more. And I was encouraging them. Um, How? You know, I was following everyone on the social media and I was, you know, really down to engaging with their content, giving them, you know, encouragements and boosters well done and great work and, and showing them that I see what they do and inviting them to do things better next time, differently, giving them tips. You know, I was very involved in looking at how people are harnessing that channel and constantly helping them do it better and do it more. And I think that at a certain point, there's this chasm when, when you get to that point, when people are starting to experiment and they're not afraid anymore and they see the results of it, they love it so much. I remember the founders of the company seeing what kind of engagement and traction they got once we started doing LinkedIn posts for them. They were shocked and they started competing with themselves who got more likes on the LinkedIn posts. Um, so once they start seeing the results, they get, they love it. And then they come to you and say, can you draft something for me for my LinkedIn on this and that? Is this going to be on Instagram? Is this going to be on LinkedIn? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's happening. So they, they, they buy it. Like they buy in when they see that it works. Um, so yeah, so, I, and, and also with some types of content, you really have to spoon feed people and that's something I've learned a long long time ago with salespeople that if you want salespeople to work with you or for you you have to really help them with the tools and you know and with the collateral etc so same here with engaging them for being ambassadors you want them to be ambassadors give them the content do it well I'm not saying write every word for them at some point they do it themselves but guide them and for important pieces like PR pieces, like we opened a new, we signed a deal, we opened a new location, prepare that pitch for them, give them the headline, give them the photo, tell them when to do it, where to do it. So the whole company was already used to that process that we put in place that once news is coming out, they know that one day later, they're going to get that guideline email and they're going to do it themselves. And, and it worked. So, so we Thank built... You those processes. Thank yeah. you very much for sharing that. From my perspective, I see a lot of CMOs that they want to encourage their team to be active and, and, uh, and they give them perks and, and they just tell them, okay, please do that. And that's it. And they don't put in the work that you're describing. Yeah. It does and take so, work. Yeah. It takes it's work, a lot to, of do work that. to encourage this to happen. A hundred percent. I really thought that that, that is going to be a success 
for Mindspace if employees are on board. So I took it as a project for myself, you know, to, to be on that. And, and it worked. And by the way, with employee, employer brand, uh, the HR team was doing similar things starting like 2021 to 2022. And we, and I, I helped them and gave them a lot of guidance, guidance as well. And they were using a lot of challenges and gamification and some perks, you know, like gifts and things like that for employees to encourage them to do things. And obviously that works too. But, you know, I, I don't jump and go to those places first. I first try to really teach people what the value is. Cool. Um, so I interrupted you when you started yeah. to talk about the PR side. Yeah, though in the PR, that's what I wanted to say, that when, when I'm talking about harnessing employees, that whenever we had a PR event, we would harness everyone to, to echo it through the social media channels, and it worked. Um, we also launched new tools and programs during that three-year period. So, for example, a calculator to calculate the, um, the cost of a flexible office versus a normal office. Uh, and this is like, uh, I think, top to middle of funnel in terms of where people are in their buying decision. So they want to compare pricing um, and, and analyze like, in London, for example, what are the real estate costs and the associated costs of buying that product to getting a normal office and everything that comes with it, with the maintenance and, and IT and, and you know, electricity, et cetera. So we were like giving them a full analysis of what they, how they would plan their next five years uh, in terms of economics with buying this versus buying that. Another program, I've launched is a voice of customer and that is that is a really good I think this is a really good tip for for marketeers who are working on low budget and have a customer base that they can talk to on a, on a frequent basis so so that was a program to leverage our customers physical proximity to us and their advocacy to improve the product and the service and we have, as I said, 15,000, we had 15,000 uh, customers uh, in 17 cities worldwide. So while we are transforming their feedback into high quality content for us, we are also taking their feedback and bring it back to the different departments with inside the company to improve our product and service. And we had um, about 15 interviews in one quarter in two countries. So about 30 interviews altogether in one quarter. And the interviews were, you know, we created them in advance with all the questions and how we want them to go. We were doing Zoom calls where the person that was doing it was not in the same country or we were doing it physically if we were in the same country with the customer. And we created qualitative and quantitative data and three reports to go internally. So one for sales, one for marketing, one for operations, what each department has to improve. And we did a long list of marketing touch points with the selected customers, the ones, the ones that were the best. We did webinars with them, guest blogging, social content, press releases, and we were amplifying their news through our channels if we could or if it was relevant. Um, How did you motivate them to contribute to this effort? I showed them that it's a win-win. They want they want publicity. They want marketing. They can do it through us as well. I always pitch to them, see us as another marketing channel for you, right? You have everything you do in your marketing. Use me. Use us we can open those doors for you. And I would give them that list of all the things we can do together. And they would be like, great, amazing. That's amazing. You know, who, what kind of service provider that you have normally gives you the ability to get more exposure through them. That's not something that happens very often because everyone's thinking about themselves and how to do their own marketing, et cetera. So, so I would, I would enroll them in that. Um, we would also help them do some advertising for themselves on our spaces on our TVs, but not paid advertising. But we have those TVs, TV screens all around the spaces, which Play. is another, yeah. it's another, you know, uh, channel. So right. imagine that in in 
about 150 screens around the world, people would see that this company raised $50 million just yesterday and their name would be all over. So obviously it would give them more exposure. And we would obviously do a lot of testimonials, whether it's textual, video, for a website, for a social media, et cetera. And that really strengthened the customer retention satisfaction. And it's, it's a very cost-effective marketing tactic. It's good for economic slowdown, like we're going into right now, or low-budget marketing in general. So voice of customer, I would highly recommend setting a program like that. That is very, it's very Wait. structured. It's nothing, it's nothing sophisticated yeah. or, or, you know, I didn't invent anything, but. Right, but the, I have a, a, an important question, again, in light of what I'm seeing, a lot of companies now that there's, a, a slowdown in the sector that I work in, you know, for technology companies, especially yeah. in the, um, they, a lot of CMOs are um, challenged now uh, with the situation and the reaction is, I'm so pressured now, I need to be really, really focused on bringing in business. So they tend to, really worry about investing in the brand because it's hard to measure that that money is getting them but the then, okay but then i ask you yeah so please i want your and i okay, love okay great no no this is a great question this. this is a great question because then because what you're saying is they're seeing it as an investment in something long term that they may not see short term results from right and yeah. and i want to challenge that because when you harness your existing resource without investing more money in the ROI exercise, you're not investing a lot at all, just a little bit of time. And you're creating content anyway in your marketing, right? You may as well create content that is based on successes with your existing customers than other content. And when you do a program like that, like Voice of Customer, yeah, you, you put in a time but what you get from it is the ultimate leverage of word of mouth. You're basically taking the, the most known tactic of all in the marketing world, which is word of mouth, and you're perfecting it or making it more sophisticated. In the end of the day, when you come out making your customer look better, at the same time making yourself look better, because you're showing a success or a good relationship you have with your customer and how much they advocate for you, then that is, in my opinion, one of the best ways to gain trust from new customers that are thinking whether to choose you or WeWork or anyone else, right? So in my opinion, that is the type of content that helps people get that last push <laughs> to become your customer and not someone else's. So I think that in the ROI exercise, um, this speaks volumes. So I love this. Uh, I, I personally agree with you and I think this is golden advice. Um, yeah, it's, it's, and it's, when you're so stressed about bringing leads and there's a downturn and everyone's like, you know, cutting, cutting budgets, et cetera. You want to do things that don't cost a lot of money and that make you look solid. And it, it's not just look, it's not a lie. You know, you do, you are doing a good job with that customer. Show it, show right. it. Don't get all stressed and run straight away to that PPC because, you know, you're doing it anyway. Right. Okay. So keep doing it, but show that you are cool, come and collected and can continue to do business in a sane way, you know, and that's one of the indications. All right. So wait a second. The, until now, everything that you shared is, is really useful advice and uh, ideas for a CMO. And it sounds like you were, you know, um, challenged with the, a change in the market you went through this intellectual exercise, changed your plans, executed perfectly, and everything is wonderful. There, I'm, I'm really interested in whether on the other side, there was a person there <laughs> inside the CMO <laughs> who's functioning so wonderfully, uh, who's really struggling with this big, big ordeal 
And could you tell us a little bit the backstory of how your life felt throughout this very, very difficult journey? Yeah, 100%. So as I told you, you know, I, I came into this thinking that it's going to be a whole other experience. And I remember that around one month after COVID started, around April, uh, we were all at home and I found myself in, with a team of three people. It's like me and three more people and that's it. Um, and it looked completely different than what I had expected. Um, and I really wanted to succeed. I didn't want to start, you know, I was waiting. I wasn't waiting, but I didn't work for the whole of 2019 for any company because of the fact that I said to myself, you're going to choose the best thing. And when Mindspace came along, it was the best thing for me. And I was planning on succeeding. I didn't want to fail. And it kind of looked, everything looked dark. So I really had a breakdown. I remember physically one day, like being at home during the workday, you know, it's like midday and I'm in the shower and I really broke down and fell on the floor and started crying and felt like, you know, where is this going? When is it going to end? Are we going to see the light out of this? Are we going to come out of our homes to, to work back in the office? It was during the lockdown, I think. And I felt like, you know, I am dealing with simply myself being disappointed and scared that life is not going according to how I planned it to go. And I think that many of us are dealing with things like that when we have a certain expectation of life, of how it should go, and we had a plan, it was supposed to go this way, and now it goes this way. And, you know, unfortunately, the only thing, it's not unfortunately, but here's what we have to understand. The only thing constant in life is change. There are always changes in life. And if we don't know how to embrace change and how to operate inside change and inside breakdowns and, and tough times, then we're going to have a extremely difficult times to be CMOs or to be people in this world because we are dealing with great amount of change. <clears throat> so once I, you know, I did a lot of work understanding that all I need to do is adapt to change and be able to work inside very difficult conditions of not knowing what's going to happen and and you know in the unknown uh, I saw that as an opportunity to grow am I able to pick myself up up from the floor literally <laughs> and recollect my molecules into a new person that knows how to handle it, it, it myself in very difficult times and build something although it now looks very like impossible can I build something out of that can I you know set up that magical team that I wanted to set can I um create success for the company can I create success for myself and and that really led me like I saw the vision and I think around three four months later and by the way what I'm telling you now, I share this with my boss, with my CEO and with my with my colleague in, in HR. And I told them about how hard it was for me and how I was breaking down. And they were really supportive. And, you know, they appreciated the fact that I'm new and that's what I had to go through. And, and they were really there for me. So in August, I started asking for more resources. I started building the case for it and pitching that I'm here to succeed, not to fail. Like I remember that conversation in the office at the HR office with my boss and, and the HR. And I was like crying because I was upset that I don't have enough money to do the stuff that I want to do. And I really like, I was so upset, not at them, but at the situation and told them, listen, I came here to win. I didn't come here to fail. You want me to take the company to a good place? Give me the money, invest the money in me. I know what to do with it. Let me show you that I can build it up again. <clears throat> and that's what happened. They gave me a carte blanche and they gave me the money I wanted and I started building stuff again. This is like from a very personal perspective. Wait, wait, wait. I, I really want to get into that meeting. Can you 
Because I'm, I'm just imagining you like a kid in a candy store crying, give me the budget. No, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like crying, give it to me, give it to me. It was, I was crying because right before that, a, a, a an employee of mine has resigned. After I had like, I kept the best people with me. That's what I thought, like the best people with me during that time. And one of them resigned and I was so broken because not only that I'm with such a small team, now one of them is leaving. And what am I doing now? And so I was so frustrated that I cannot start implementing all my ideas and plans because I don't have enough people and because I don't have enough money. And I didn't ask for the 15 people team that I had first envisioned. I had asked for one to two new people with that amount of money. It was all very calculated. And I came to their office and I pitched it. I was crying because I was upset that it's not working, but they got it. You know, I, I pitched what I'm what I'm going to do, who I'm going to hire, what am I, how am I going to change the team, what type of, of objectives I'm going to um, meet. So it worked. <laughs> and uh, and I think that every breakdown is an opportunity for personal growth. And if we're if we're courageous enough to let ourselves break down to pieces and be authentic about it and share it and build new visions out of it and build new possibilities as a result of it, then we can we can strive. You know. Um, Thank you very much for sharing this. Yeah. Fact. No. You know, no it, it sometimes from the outside it looks like it's all it all easy peasy. <laughs> oh, no, it wasn't easy at all. It wasn't easy at all. And you know, I I felt I felt the pressure. It wasn't like there was no pressure. And I don't know. Do, do you want to talk about the pressure? The yes. The stress. I, the reason I, I'm really interested in it because now today there's a new, <laughs> slightly different type of pressure that a, a lot of CMOs are under. And if you can, if you think you have any advice to them, how to stand in front of their uh, management and stand strong and say, yeah, we're in a crisis. I believe I know what we should be investing in it in. Uh, please trust me enough to give me the budget for it. Do you have any advice to them how to manage this conversation uh, in the best way? <laughs> yeah. So that's a very good question. And I think many people don't talk about it we're just talking about the tactics and but we really need to talk about our mental state to be able to carry out that work because being a cmo and mostly and this is what we're seeing a gcmo for example our community that's why we built the community because we need each other we need to get that strength from each other and understand how to cope so we share things like that with each other so to strengthen ourselves. So with the pressure, let's break it down to two aspects. First of all, the pressure from ourselves, like the internal pressure, and then the pressure from management or external sources, okay? So if we start with the pressure from ourselves, what I say is look inside. Take the time to look inside and ask yourself, what's the conversation I'm having about myself. As, as CMOs, I think we're supposed to be the experts or the champions in identifying the narratives and the sentiment of our target audience or the public and their pains. Can I identify the same with myself? Can I identify what I say to myself when I'm under a lot of pressure? For example, I'm not good enough. I'm never going to make this. I'm never going to deliver. I'm not going to make the impact I want to make. I'm not going to be perceived the way I intended to be perceived. Or I can't sort out my team. I can't sort out my time. I can't sort out my priorities or my resources. In short, if I summarize all of these thoughts, imposter syndrome I'm not good enough right like I think that it boils down to that so doubt. all of these are what I call limiting beliefs we tell ourselves that we are like this or we are like that and we believe it we buy it right and and operating out of that level of stress that we bring ourselves down it limits us 
It creates lack. It creates anger. It creates impatience with our team, with vendors, with whoever is around us. My son that is, happened to be around me around that time, right? And if we're having a hard time, <clears throat> now I know what I said is not easy to observe or to identify, but that's the kind of question you want to ask yourself. As a marketeer, you know how to do that with your target audience. You should be able to do that with yourself, right? Start teaching yourself how to do that. And if you're having a hard time observing your internal narrative, then you can get a lead to it through your communication with others by observing your emotions, for example, after an engagement with someone. If you hang up the phone after a phone call or if you finish an email and you want to slap someone <laughs> or throw your mobile phone at the wall or yell, then you are able to identify that that is a trigger. You're being triggered for something. So that's another way to get access to ourselves, asking ourselves, what triggers me? Okay, what, what, makes, me, what makes me upset? Once we observe our narrative and limiting beliefs, we then want to observe our triggers. What gets us activated? When we are activated, what are we trying to prove? Are we trying to defend something? Are we trying to defend, defend ourselves? What am I trying to show someone? Am I operating from a place that has been hurt? and want to compensate for something, okay? Or, or am I calm, cool, and collected? So I want to start talking to myself more. That's my tip, right? I want to start talking to myself more. Handling pressure starts with looking inside, with speaking to yourself, with asking those questions to yourself. Those are not easy questions, but start answering them. And once you start having that conversation with yourself, you start to be more connected to yourself and closer to yourself. And you're able to, first of all, be aware of that automatic machine that is constantly going on and you have no control over. You want to have control over it? Start listening, right? So that, that's the first part that I said about um, um, pressure from ourselves, like the internal pressure. But now when I look at the external pressure, like pressure from management, or from your boss, or from colleagues, or from the VP sales that you're working with. Now, these targets that the company or the, the boss or this, the VP sales is putting for you may be unrealistic. They may be hard to implement or hard to meet. I'm not saying they aren't, right? But you may be telling yourself, they're setting me up for failure. I'm not appreciated. I'm not acknowledged enough. They don't, they take me for granted. And you may go into that mode of, I must prove that I'm good enough. I must prove that I can do it. I must prove that. So the first thing to do is to look at the objectives and the and the requests that are that are being. Uh, given to you and ask whether they are realistic or not if you're seeing that they're not really not stand up speak up and have a conversation about it with your boss with your sales team with whatever if you're accepting them <laughs> then take responsibility okay so the things you're telling yourself about the external pressure and putting yourself in that spot of I must prove something to someone is, is also a limiting belief because you are operating from a place of stress and a place of proving you're not being, you're not complete, full, whole, and complete with yourself. You're you have to prove something to someone else. And that kind of limiting belief is setting you up for either failure or success, but being drained from energy at the end of the process, right? So while external pressure does exist, we got to see what kind of place we give it, what kind of space we give it. Do we let it take over? Do I become a victim to that pressure? Becoming a victim is a pitfall. While we 
feel sorry for ourselves or feel like we don't deserve this, the, the why me feeling, why me with all this pressure, why me with all the, the, these complaints, why me with blah, blah, blah. We don't take responsibility on the most part. If I acknowledge that no one is doing anything to me, it is all my choice. It's my choice to be here. It's my choice to do this work. It's my choice to have these employees. It's my choice to have this boss. It's my choice to have these deadlines, etc. I can become empowered in my position. I don't have to feel sorry for myself or feel like someone, someone or, or life is against me. It is always my choice. And operating from that place gives me a lot of power. I know it's not always easy to get there. And what I'm saying is not easy like to implement, but the way there goes through a lot of self-love, self-care, self-listening, self-compassion, up to healing trauma in your life. Because when you get triggered, there is something there that is sitting there from a long time ago, probably, that you are not healing or not, not handling. And I think that when you treat your body and your mental state respectfully, you want to take care of their proper function, their maintenance, their operation, just like you, you take care of your car, for example, right? So, so that's how I, I see pressure and stress and how I handle it. I think it well, puts things in, I, in, in proportion, like in yeah, perspective. I, I really, I want to say that I really appreciate what you shared now. It's uh, not the normal um, conversation that the um, professionals have on this kind of, uh, you know, uh, yeah. podcast. usually we talk about tactics, methods, and I appreciate you giving us a, a glimpse into your inner inner conversations because I'm sure because that that's, that's our day today. people have these similar conversations in their head and uh, maybe not all are aware of the importance of using that interception uh, and using their skills in marketing using them also to uh, look inside and uh, heal themselves and handle the pressure with uh, compassion I love that you said with that compassion with self-compassion do I have compassion for myself can I stop being upset for myself uh, at myself for not meeting that deadline for not you know doing what I said I would do at that time for my team not delivering what it said it would deliver can I find some compassion for you know for the fact that life happens And we are not robots and we're humans, you know? I, I love it that you're demonstrating <clears throat> that you can have a lot of self-compassion and still be a super performer. Oh, yeah. And, and super <laughs> adamant about what I want and, and calling my team to account. And they, but they know that I always have both sides. They know that I would listen and I would coach them to, to be there for themselves, just like I said. But at the same time, I would expect really great things of them and push them to go forward and, and to challenge themselves. So it, it's not like uh, I would just, you know, pat them on the back all day. Right. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I have, I have planned to ask you a lot more questions, but I, I'm guessing I'll save them for a different conversation uh, because of time. But I really don't want to uh, end this con conversation before I ask you this uh, closing uh, uh, question um, about is there anything that you know of today as, as a marketer that you wish you had known earlier when you're, you were younger? Maybe you can share that with people who are at that stage. Yeah, I, I think my, my answer here Is going to be a little bit philosophical, but that's why I love marketing, because it is on that cross point of philosophy, psychology, sales, business, etc. So, yes, marketing for me is a powerful tool to influence perception and drive people to action. And in the world we're living in today, the skill, this skill is mostly being used to generate money. to build more and more capital, 
and fuel the capitalistic, materialistic world we live in. My younger self had to go through many years of exercising and understanding marketing and the psychology behind it, being a little bit naive, thinking that in our world, it is mostly used for good. I mean, marketing is mostly used for good, to do good. I think that I was a bit like a fish in, water, in the water, like not noticing the water I'm swimming in, taking them for granted, not no noticing that, that marketing is present almost everywhere around us, trying to get us humans into a funnel, trying to get us to buy more, to take a certain action. I think I realized how easy humans are, um, how e easy it is to manipulate humans, right? And, and how naive we can be, how we believe things that experts are saying with little or no critical thinking. We can easily fall into traps set for us by brilliant marketers in a customer journey, even if we don't want or need to be on that journey. <laughs> so marketeers are really good with pressing on our pain points as humans. And it's relatively easy to do that, especially if strong emotions are used in campaigns. Fear, for example, is the father of all controlling, manipulating emotions. So in the past three years, it's as if all my many years of marketing experience came to fruition as I became more mature, as I became <clears throat> more awakened to manipulation on humans. And that was one of the reasons I started analyzing or reverse engineering, I would say, the biggest marketing campaigns that I've ever seen in my lifetime, the COVID-19 crisis. I've researched this crisis for from many different angles. And unfortunately, I discovered many bad marketing practices to manipulate, control, and even coerce people into taking certain actions or behave in certain ways. And I'm very passionate about that. And this is what I cover extensively in my digital channels where I have more than 60,000 followers. Uh, and that's like where I put my activism work. So if I can look back and say to my younger self um, what I would take away from all these years of marketing knowledge and understanding is be alert in understanding where you are being guided to a certain action or behavior that you may not choose to take if you were aware of it, right? So just be more alert, be more aware of things that are happening around you, have all the information so you can make smart decisions and aware decisions rather than blind decisions, so. Wow, that's a advice for a persons, for the world, not necessarily to marketers, right? This is, uh... Well, not necessarily to marketers, but I believe that marketeers should lead the way because they're the ones that are creating this reality. They're the ones that have the responsibility to make the public aware of what is marketing? What, is, what kind of methods do we you know, exercise in order to get you, dear public, to do what we want you to do. Each and every one of us with our small group of target audience, we do that every day. That's, that's our job. But when we do what we do and we take it to bad places, we take advantage of someone's naivete or we, we take advantage of people doing things they, they don't want to do, I think we are using our skill and our strength, our powers for bad. And, and I don't want to be on that side. <laughs> so I want to join hands with you. And at least, you know, from this episode, uh, 
call out for our fellow marketers to do good marketing. A hundred percent. That can be our contribution to the world at this 100%. stage. Um, that we will, you know, whoever is listening to this and decides that they're on with the, they're with us on this. I don't want to be naive to say that all marketers in the world now are going to be all authentic and uh, do good and uh, no, but 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 be, be transparent. Allow yeah, but, people to really choose. Allow yeah, but let's, let, let's say this, that uh, I think uh, I would personally feel so much better about my work. And this is a guidance for me when I do work with any uh, of our clients or for also for my own company is that I want to do good marketing and I want to feel that I'm a person and a company that's doing good in the world. So good marketing means that you don't uh, abuse your exactly. tools, your manipulations exactly. to mislead people. Exactly. A hundred percent. Wow. That's a beautiful closing. Thank you so much, Eflat. Thank you for having me, Sharon. Inspiration. I enjoyed it so much. A lot of people, a lot of marketers. So looking forward to watching your next steps. Thank Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Ciao. You've been listening to the B2B Startup Growth Podcast, bringing you the latest wisdom on marketing, sales, growth hacking, and life as a startup leader. I'm your host, Shoham Ekhaus, And if there's a particular topic that you'd like me to cover soon, please reach out to me on b2bstartupgrowth.com and let me know.